Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. Today, we're going to have part two of the 1986 Mets, and we're going to talk about the World Series that the Mets played that year against the Boston Red Sox turned out to be one of the classic World Series in Major League Baseball history. So we'll just go through each game, give a brief overview of each game. And as often happens in the World Series, it comes down to pitching. And Game 1 was a perfect example of that. Boston's Bruce Hurst pitched 8 innings and held the Mets to four hits and zero runs. Ron Darling of the Mets was just as effective as Hurst, allowing only one unearned run. The final was Boston 1 and New York 0. Game 2 was a matchup of possibly the two best pitchers in baseball that year. The Red Sox starter was 1986 American League MVP and Cy Young Award winner, Roger Clemens. The Mets starter was 1985 National League Cy Young Award winner, Dwight Gooden. To everyone's surprise, both pitchers struggled in this game, and neither went beyond the fifth inning. Dave Henderson and Dwight Evans both homered off Gooden giving the Red Sox a 6-2 lead in the top of the fifth inning. The Mets' relief pitching didn't fare much better, giving up another three runs. Boston won easily, 9-3. With Boston leading the series two games to zero, and the next three games played at Fenway Park, Mets fans had reason to worry. Game 3 was a must-win for the Mets, and they came through with their pitching and their hitting. Lenny Dykstra got New York off to a great start with a solo home run, and the Mets added three more runs to take an early 4-0 lead. Boston could only get one run off Mets starter Bob Ojeda. In the 7th and 8th innings, New York added three more runs for an easy 7-1 victory. In Game 4, the Red Sox were once again shut down by pitcher Ron Darling, who allowed zero runs. The Sox did manage two runs off of reliever Roger McDowell in the 8th inning, but it wasn't enough. Lenny Dykstra hit a two-run home run while Gary Carter 
hit two runs to give the Mets a 6-2 victory. With Dwight Gooden slated as the starter for Game 5, the Mets felt their chances of winning were good. But the Red Sox thought differently. Boston took a 3-0 lead in the bottom of the fifth, knocking Gooden out of the game. The Sox added another run and led 4-0 after seven full innings. Pitcher Bruce Hurst pitched a complete game for Boston, allowing only two runs. Boston won 4-2. The two teams got a day off to return to New York for Game 6 at Shea Stadium. Roger Clemens got the start for Boston, while Bob Ojeda would go for the Mets. Ojeda pitched six complete innings, allowing two runs. The Red Sox took a 3-2 lead in the top of the seventh. Roger Clemens was on deck in the top of the eighth inning, but manager John McNamara elected to go with a pinch hitter who ultimately struck out. It was a questionable decision considering Clemens was pitching well and had allowed only one earned run. With Clemens on the bench, the Mets tied the score 3-3 in the bottom of the eighth. With neither team scoring in the ninth, the game went into extra innings. In the top of the tenth inning, Center fielder Dave Henderson gave Boston the lead with a solo home run. The Red Sox added another run to increase their lead to 5-3. The Mets were down to three outs, and after the first two batters flew out, things looked bleak. But Gary Carter and Kevin Mitchell singled to keep their hopes alive. The next batter was Ray Knight who was behind on the count, 0-2, before singling to left center. Carter scored, and Mitchell reached third base. With Mookie Wilson now at bat, pitcher Bob Stanley threw a wild pitch, allowing Mitchell to score. Next came the infamous Bill Buckner play. Wilson hit a grounder to first base that went through the legs of Buckner. Knight scored from second, and the Mets pulled off an improbable win. In the author's opinion, it seems unfair that everyone remembers the Bill Buckner error, but few seem to remember the wild pitch that tied the game. The next day, a heavy rainstorm put Game 7 on hold until the following day. The Mets' starting pitcher would be Ron Darling who had not given up an earned run in the other two games he pitched. Bruce Hurst would get the start for the Red Sox. Things did not start well for the Mets, as Dwight Evans and Rich Gedman hit back-to-back -back home runs in the top of the second inning. Wade Boggs drove in another run, and it was 3-0. In the top of the fourth inning, Mets manager Davey Johnson took the struggling Ron Darling out and replaced him with Sid Fernandez. Meanwhile, the Mets managed only one hit against Hurst, but finally got to him in the bottom of the sixth, 
scoring three runs. Roger McDowell entered the game to relieve Sid Fernandez, and the Red Sox went down in order. Ray Knight hit a solo home run in the bottom of the seventh, and the Mets added two more runs to take a 6-3 lead. But Boston wasn't done yet, scoring two runs in the top of the eighth to cut the Mets' lead to just one run. Jesse Orozco came in to relieve McDowell and stopped the Red Sox rally. Darryl Strawberry homered in the bottom of the eighth, and Orozco drove in Ray Knight from second base to make the score 8-5. to five. Orozco then retired the Red Sox in order, and the Mets were World Series champions for the second time in their 25-year history. ESPN voted this World Series as the fourth best in Major League Baseball history. I don't think too many people would disagree. Okay, that will conclude our podcast for today. Hope you enjoyed it. Take care, and God bless. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Hello, football friends. This is Darren Hayes of the Pigskin Dispatch Podcast, and I'd like to invite you to the portal of positive football history, Pigskin Dispatch and pigskindispatch.com. We talk about everything that centers around the game of American football, expert discussions, the origins of the games, the great players, teams, and coaches, and more, and some great guests and insights from experts. We have new episodes three to four times a week, and you can find us on sportshistorynetwork.com, pigskindispatch.com, or your favorite podcast provider. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.